Tim, we need you to raise the level up. I'm sorry. No, so you're Elena, doing great today, Tim. Elena, Don't bring it down. Uh, Tim, Tim, let's. Do can you, you, can you please bring the full uniform for your little league outfit next time? <laughs> well, hey, everybody, and welcome to the debrief with your friends here at Sandals Church, where we get real answers to your tough questions from the Bible with the PMB, Pastor yep. Matt Brown. Chowing down on apples today. That's right. Wow. Well, I was. Yes. So, And we're also joined today by the wonderful Tim Holly, Aww, who is here in place so of Justin for the week. Holly for the holidays. Here I am. Deck, oh, that was good. Deck, deck the, the holidays. Mm-hmm. Deck the holidays. Yep, and he brought his Little League shirt today <laughs> for everybody who's watching online. He's got a big game today against 12-year-olds. Yeah. Guys, I was never good at t-ball. Yes. I'm sorry. Well, big strike zone. Can I tell you how many big times... Big strike I, zone. How many, <laughs> Can I tell you how many times the pitching machine struck me out? Like it's embarrassing to talk about, but re- really? the reality this is, is a safe place. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, See, that was rough. advantage. I was super short, so I always got on base. Yeah, it was I, hard, it was hard I to did throw. not. I was yeah. struck out by a machine over and over and over again. If you can believe it, I was not good with any ball and ball <laughs> sports. Didn't go well. Here's yeah. what I always wonder, though, is that how many kids are like playing a sport and they're just really sucking at it for a long time before they realize that they just have bad eyesight, like and their parents need to take them to the eye doctor. Oh, yeah. Oh. I didn't think because, was that what happened because to you, Tim? in sixth grade, I'm like, hey, can I have a seat closer to the board, please? I'm asking my friends, no like, can you read ever. what the board says? Huh. Teachers think you're cheating. I'm like, no, I just can't see. Like, yeah. That's really what it comes mm. down to. So it's my parents' fault. I was yeah, bad at Little total League. neglect. Oh, okay. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> I'm going to report that. Have you that. talked about that in counseling? It sounds just, like this is a deep thing. I just thing thought here. that I could share with you guys first and yeah, see how it went. Maybe you should try T-ball again, baby. <laughs> Probably be really <laughs> good at it now. Shot. You know how I knew I needed glasses? I was making fun of one of our employees <laughs> who had to get glasses and he threw the eye chart up and was sh- telling people what he couldn't and see. And you were silent. And I was like, and the room fell silent. I can't read any of those letters. <laughs> you're just, your, your laughter turned into just tiny tears. Yeah. So, okay, true story. So when I was in the army, I had the hardest time. So I, they have all these awards when you go through the army to oh. try to be the most best Rambo, whatever, you know, <laughs> not, nobody knows who Rambo is nowadays. So like uh, Bourne, Jason yeah, Bourne. Sure. So I wanted to be born. Jason Bourne. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't qualify. I could not qualify for the shooting range. And the stinking army, dude, they, t- they tested my eyes and said it was fine. Mm. I literally cannot see. So I, here's, here's the miracle. I passed the shooting no. thing barely because my, my drill instructor taught me how to cheat. You just aim at the bottom and let the bullet skip. So the bullet, no. so you can't miss over no. the top. But if you skip it, it'll, a, hit the it'll still hit the target. And that's the only way I pass. And it's like, I cannot see the United States Army, dude. It's like, guys. Well, oh, now goodness. you're in the Lord's army. Yeah, now I'm in the Lord's army, and I once was blind, but now I see. <laughs> Likewise. Oh, well, that is beautiful. Well, we are excited <laughs> to have you guys here with us today. Before we kick off the show, we have a great five-star review and feedback. Mm. Also, we're looking at the numbers, and we're about, I would say, halfway to our goal for five-star reviews and feedback. Wow. They can start pushing us up to where we'll be in the rankings on the mm. iTunes podcast store. I got a five-star so, review this week. You did? Uh-huh. I was in the checkout line at a grocery store, and a debrief listener let me cut because I was buying... One item. Wow. Well, no, thanks. they did. Thanks for being great people. Deep they did. Things. They let me cut yeah. because I was only buying coffee. Yeah. If I was that was there you, for my please drugs. also leave that five-star review in the iTunes store. That'll really mm-hmm. help us out. We've got the link to that in our show notes. But today's five-star review comes in from Marissa, who says, "Who I like her, the title of her review says, Tuesdays equal the debrief, not tacos. Mm-hmm. I argue Debatable. you could have both. Mm-hmm. So... 
But maybe that's just the pregnancy talking. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this comes from Marissa. She says, thank you to the debris for giving me the courage to attend a large church. I had always had the misconception that a large church was so impersonal. I kept seeing sandals and decided to check out the website. I found this podcast and started listening. I really liked what I heard and then started watching online. I then made the decision to attend in person with my family and have now been at sandals for about a year. I was so wrong in my thoughts on a large church and I found a place I can be honest Loved and encouraged. I'm truly grateful that this podcast exists. Thank you for your faithfulness. And Pastor Matt, you've changed my life forever. Love Aww, you guys. Thank you. Love you. We That's love you so too, great. Marissa. Yeah, I don't know why big churches get such a big bad rap. It's terrible. So, I mean, typically when people are gathering in large numbers, it means something good is happening. But I mean, hey, maybe it doesn't. You know, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we are going to start off the episode with some follow-up questions from the last couple of episodes. So let's dive on into that. Tim, you want to take it away? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So you mentioned on episode 88 that the word church was translated incorrectly. How can we be certain that our translation or understanding of scripture is correct? If scripture has not been translated correctly, can it be authoritative? Yeah. So I, my, my apologies for if I cause anyone to doubt our English translations, especially our modern English translations. And so you have to realize that the church went through a thousand years of, of political domination. And so scholars were limited politically uh, with how uh, they could translate things. So just think about like political correctness now. We're not allowed to say certain things or speak certain ways because of there's this, this you know, you're, you're going to get in trouble if you say something, even if it's the truth specifically. Well, the church went through that. And so there were, you know, some of those things. And the church just doesn't struggle with that now because the manuscripts are out there and everybody has them and we're able to translate them. And so, you know, some people like that are King James only. Well, the King James is a great translation. It's beautiful, but it wasn't based upon the best manuscripts that were available. Over time, we've discovered literally thousands of thousands of manuscripts all over the world uh, that tell us we can trust the Bible. So how, how can we trust the translation? Because the translation is based upon um, literally, I believe 22,000 pieces of the New Testament have been gathered, many of them full books, partial books, whatever. And, you know, they're, I, I think uh, this guy named Doug Metzger, who's a scholar at, uh, I believe, Pepperdine. Uh, it's been a couple of years since I was in seminary. But he did a mathematical equation and said, out of the 22,000 different manuscripts, they were 99.7% identical. So think about that. You have all of these manuscripts all over the world, um, in Egyptian, in Coptic, in Syrian, in uh, Hebrew, in Greek, in Latin, um, um, you know, multiple translations in Hebrew, multiple decades in Hebrew, and, and the similarities were striking because people were translating what they believed to be the word of God. And so there was a great deal of emphasis on getting it correct. And so we can trust that. And no other ancient document that you study in school is even close, even remotely close, um, you know, to um, what we have with the scripture. So we can trust the manuscripts. Modern translations um, do a great job of making sure that we know what it means. And in most of your Bibles, there's a footnote there that if it translated church, there'll be a little footnote and down at the bottom, it will say assembly, uh, gathering or congregation. That's what it means. So church is an acceptable translation. If you understand, it doesn't mean building. That's the problem is the word was connotated with building. I go to the church. I go, and so Jesus is not calling us to a structure. He's calling us to a strategy where we gather together and we congregate in his name and we minister to one another. And that's why it is so important. And so just know this, who was our, our question asker? Do we have a name? Uh, Jonathan. Jonathan, that you, you need to know that's why William Tyndale died. William Tyndale died so that you could trust the translation. And so you need to understand that people have lost their lives. People's lives have been ruined. 
uh, I mean, he was choked to death so that you could have an accurate translation of scripture. And so you need to trust it because people died so this information could get into your hands. You know, it's like the Death Star, right? You know, many people died so that we can have this information, which that's mm. not actually real, but it is a powerful story it is a very powerful for all story. of you who love Star Wars. Um, so we don't need to destroy, destroy the Death Star, we need to save souls. So many people have died so get? that, yeah, well, I'll give myself one. <laughs> many people have died so that we could have this information, so we can totally trust this. And all the information that I'm giving you is readily available. This is not some secret. Like I said, it's why uh, the denomination known as the Assemblies of God call themselves the Assemblies of God. Because mm. they, they look at the word and ecclesia means assembly. It's the gathering together of the people of God, the assemblies of God. And the reason why that word is so important, like we said, is because that is the reference of the congregated people of Israel in the Old Testament. And then it's used in the New Testament. So God is telling us that he's been doing something together. He's congregating people who love him and are called according to his purpose. So let me say this, the word church Actually, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20, when there are problems with the Lord's Supper. That's where the word church comes from, kirka. And it's when you come together for the Lord's Supper or you gather together for the Lord's Supper, the meal. So if you're Catholic, you guys translate this or you grew up Catholic, you translate a little more accurate. A Catholic person won't say, I'm going to church. They will say, I'm going to, none of you know, mass. So mass is the event of the Lord's Supper. So they're going to that. And so they're actually translating it accurately. They are not going to Ecclesia, they're going to Kirka, they're going to the mass. They're gonna go to the event where they surround themselves with the Lord's table. And, and that's the primary event of what's taking place there. So um, it, it, I don't wanna change the word church. We're not changing to Sandals Ecclesia, although there is a church in LA called Ecclesia, which confuses everybody. And now that's the new cool thing. There's another church in LA called Zoe Church, which just means life. <laughs> So, you know, let's confuse people because it yeah. sounds cool. And a lot of people like that church. Uh, it's doing really, really great. I don't want to make fun of it, but, you know, people make fun of Sandals Church. So, but Zoe just simply means life. Mm. And that's what it means. Um, so uh, anyways, I, I think our translations are excellent. If you can't read Greek and Hebrew, um, there are many, many computers. You can get Google Translate. It's really, really simple and it will go right through it for you. I had to be in language for years. It was brutal uh, trying to learn uh, an ancient language. And some people's minds work that way. Some people don't. Mm. All of this information is available to you. So let me say this, you can trust the translations. They are fantastic. And um, you know, all, all uh, reliable translations tell you who all the scholars were, who was on the panel. Uh, organizations that don't, unfortunately, are the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses. We don't know who those people are. They don't work with other scholars. They have their own translations, their own understandings. And so, um, you know, the Watchtower Society, I, I don't know who writes that or who translates that. And so that you got to be leery of those things. But, you know, if it's a, a general translation that you can get um, where they list all of the scholars, all of the schools, all the places where people studied, you know, you can trust that. They, they've gone through a great deal of work um, to put that into your hands. And so just know this, the word church means, don't change the, you, don't change the word, change the meaning. The word means to gather, to assemble, to congregate. That's what it means. It means to come together. We, we need to gather together as the church uh, to experience the power of God's word, to sing, to encourage, to pray, to do all of those things. We're to do that together. And, and why that's so important is in the 1970s, the Jesus movement was built upon this idea of a personal relationship with Jesus, which is great because a lot of people grew up in church, but they had never been born again. They had never had an encounter with God where they repented of their sins and gave their life to Christ. And some of you listening, you've never done that. You've just grown up Christian. And 
the truth is, if you grew up Muslim, you'd be Muslim. If you grew up Hindu, <clears throat> you'd be Hindu. You're just your religion because that's the way you were raised. You've never ever actually come to the cross and confessed your sins to Jesus and, and, and believed in him. And you need to do that. And so, and so they challenge people to have a personal relationship with Jesus, which was a good thing. The negative thing of that is then the relationship became personal, which means it wasn't corporate and it became a negative for gathering. And so now people will have my quiet time and it's me and God in my backyard. And I do all these things, which is not what the movement meant. The movement meant, yeah, you, you need to personally come to Christ and then you need to corporately gather. Mm-hmm. So like we don't get baptized by ourselves, We get baptized in the presence of believers. We don't partake of the Lord's supper by ourselves. We do that with the church. We don't, you know, well, you can worship by yourself, but we need to worship with the church. We need to gather with the church. We need to serve the church because the gathering is what Jesus is building. The mm-hmm. congregation, we congregate and assemble together. So that's what it means. And that's what God's about. And so um, that's why we need to build all these churches or, or reclaim these churches really is what we're doing so that people can congregate. And that's the, that's the biggest challenge in California is finding a place to gather and to congregate because it's super expensive. And it's just, it's a brutal process to get um, cities and, and, you know, to get a landowner to sell you their property, to get a city to approve it. I mean, you know, transitioning in something to a religious gathering place is quite difficult. So great question. Trust your translations. If you can't speak Greek or or Hebrew or read it, get uh, a couple translations and read them. You know, get the ESV, get the NLT that I use. Shoot, look at it in the message. A lot of times the message will really, really bring out the flavor of it um, in a very, very special and unique way. So there you go. All right. Awesome. This next question comes in from Stephanie. To be clear, it's Stephanie with an F. So uh, it's not me. Not you. Um, and she asks, on the last debrief, you talked about building churches in California and India as your primary focus at this point. I know our church is sending 100 people to India. So are we helping them build a sandals church there or are they building their own church? And if we as a church are helping them, what can we do to support them? Yeah, that's a great question. So we need to really rally together and figure it out because my passion is to build the church here and in India. And so, um, and matter of fact, we, we have uh, people from our church that are not just in India, then other places of the world. And what we want to see is we want to see the church built. So what we will do is, is we'll figure out ways to help you be a part of it. The problem is many of our missionaries that are going to those places have to do so secretly because they can get in trouble, they can get deported, and sometimes they can be imprisoned and in some cases killed. So we have to be very, very careful with the way that we market that. We're very, very blessed in the United States of America um, to do what we do. We had a bunch of people almost get arrested in the Southeast Asia two years ago. Mm -hmm. So we literally had to, man, start calling people and figure out what was gonna happen. And the reason that they were arrested is they actually just gave out Bibles. I mean, that was it in a foreign country. Mm -hmm. And in many, many places in the world, the Bible is a book that is not legal. It's illegal to have that book in your hands, which is such a tragedy for all of us who call ourselves Christians. And it's legal here and we don't even read it. Mm. And so, I mean, think about what that says. I mean, if communism is afraid of it, maybe you should read it. I mean, right? Why are they so afraid of this book and what it does to people? Um, So, read it, check it out. Um, So we will be informing you. There's always ways that you can get involved. We have a thing called the Go Team. We actually have a position. uh, We've been searching, I I believe for a year in our church to replace um, uh, Pastor Derek, who left a couple years ago, um, who was the head of our literally uh, missionary movement uh, in that area. So we have some volunteers in our church who've been running that. Uh, Pastor Claude Hickman is a part of that. So you can contact him. There's all kinds of ways to get involved. Mm -hmm. But in order for you to get involved, we have to trust you, know you, and work with you uh, on a deeper level. You know, you can write a check at any time, but to be intimately involved, 
they have to know who you are and know that you know you're you're a part of the team and and we can trust you because people's lives are at stake and so we want to guard that and protect that so oh for sure um but in california any churches that we do here you can be a part of that so the number one step would be if you're interested in leadership would be rogo school but i think that time has passed you can try mm-hmm. next year we have more than enough qualified candidates this mm-hmm. year uh, be praying for uh, the whole team as they discern who gets in and who doesn't uh, this year because we we only have so many slots. So mm. yeah, and if you are interested in learning more about what we're doing in India, we actually have it on our website at sandalschurch.com/slash/india, so you can learn more about just our vision there, ways to support the people who are there, ways to get involved with things that we're doing here. Uh, we've actually got some updates coming to that page pretty soon. They're going to have some new ways for you get to get involved. So check out sandalschurch.com/slash/india. We'll also throw it on the show notes at debrief.show/slash/89. Yeah, and so hold on, we we have a couple of people that are getting ready to launch pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and I know that they're trying to raise support. So the church supports them partially. We don't support all mm-hmm. of it. So mm-hmm. the church is a, is a major partner in their process, but what they need to do is they need to reach out and, and develop relationships with people and connect with them. So if you want to be a part of that, we have people that are currently right now mm-hmm. waiting to launch and go to India and they mm-hmm. would love your support. And so, you know, Tammy and I support, uh, I believe six of our missionaries right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and, and we tithe, we, we tithe to the church and, and we support Sandals Church. So um, we would encourage you to be a part of that. They're great, great individuals who are literally sacrificing everything to go overseas in the name of Jesus. It's great. Yeah, mm. it's incredible. Well, thank you guys so much for sending in those follow-up questions. We love answering to questions about answers to questions. So the t- <laughs> conversation never has to stop here. So you can always send us your questions at debrief.show or on Facebook. But for now, we're going to dive into some questions from your weekend sermon. And then we've also got a bunch of questions that have been piling up about how to navigate your faith in settings where people don't really agree with you, mm. which it's Thanksgiving week. And mm. I feel like we're yes. all about to sit around some tables. <clears throat> we're going to be those very unthankful for family. Situations. <laughs> so uh, first up, we have some questions from this weekend. Now, Pastor Matt, this weekend, you shared a story from Mark 14 about a woman who poured out expensive perfume over Jesus. And you mentioned there are actually four separate versions of this story. And you wanted to talk about that some more here. So what are those separate versions of the story and how do they differ? Right. So Matthew and Mark are very, very similar, almost identical. So it's probably the same story. Luke is somewhat different, different names, different woman, different situation. John is Mary, uh, the uh, sister of Lazarus. So completely different story. And so the problem that people have is, is this the same story or are these unique stories? What is it? And so I believe that they're unique stories. So that's just my position. And here's why. Jesus says when the first woman, whoever the first woman was that did it, he says, you're going to hear about this action forever. I, I'm going to guess that got out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that it got out. Hey, Jesus likes it when you anoint his feet or his head with oil. That's a positive thing. And that's an appropriate way, especially as a woman, mm. to worship him and to acknowledge him. Mm. So, right, in the ancient world, if I'm a woman, he's a man. How do I connect with him in an appropriate way? Because he's a holy man, right? And so I've got to figure out how to connect with him in that way. So I think the story gets out and I think this is something that happens multiple times. And uh, sometimes for his burial, in the case of uh, Simon the Pharisee, which is the story in Luke, where he says, well, if Jesus really was a prophet, I think this is another situation where maybe she heard about the uh, other woman or or maybe she was the first one and others heard about it. So I don't know who was first or second because the gospels are not always interested in chronology. So what does that mean? They're not interested in, a, B, C, D, E, F, G. Oftentimes the authors take liberty to put stories together, not according to how they happened in order, but in, quarter, in, in order of their theological significance. So mm. you need to know about this story. And that's just the way the, the Eastern mind works. In the West, we're like, oh my gosh, I can't trust this because the events are out of order. People in the East don't care. What they care about is the point of the story. What are you trying 
uh, to know. And so that's why sometimes when you read the gospels, things are out of order. Um, you know, they don't all make sense in, in terms of their chronology. The Eastern mind just doesn't care. They care about the point of the story. What are you trying to teach me? So I think it's multiple stories. That, that, that's what I believe. And I believe there's multiple stories because Jesus affirmed it. He said, this is a good thing. And you guys are all wrong and she's right. So I think the word gets out and uh, other women hear about it. So they do it. And so I don't, I don't know why there's all the controversy. I think my answer, answer is pretty simple. So <laughs> straightforward. Great yeah. question. Yeah, that's great. Uh, an anonymous question. Person writes, I don't participate in getting intoxicated and I don't encourage others to either. Because of this, people think I judge them. Since we have different morals, sometimes people don't want to talk to me about certain things. How do I show them that I love them even though I don't support those activities? Jesus was around prostitutes and people who didn't think he was judging them, but felt very loved by him instead. How can I do the same and reach out to non-believers? Right, great question. So let's deal with the issue of the word judgment. I, I don't think in our culture we have any idea what that means. So judgment in the New Testament had actual physical connotations. So when you were judged for something, you, you could be incarcerated, you could be stoned, killed, uh, you could be isolated, outcast, you, you could become homeless. So, so that's what the word judged means. So it doesn't mean judgment. It doesn't mean don't believe in morals and principles and things that are right and wrong. And so here's the reality. Everybody judges. Everybody has judgment. Everybody does. And usually the people who say don't judge me are the most judgmental mm -hmm. because what they're judging is you're judging. Mm -hmm. So you, you, can't, you can't say don't judge because that is a judgment. Mm -hmm. So you've just broken your own law. <laughs> so we, we all do this. So what we need to have is judgment. So here's what I would say. If you feel in your heart that it's wrong to drink and what else did she say? Uh, just basically yeah. different, differing morals, yeah. recognizing people because have Because they're known different... as a person who doesn't drink, then right. they, people don't want to talk to them about other moral issues. Yeah. So I, I think that that's great. And what, what you have to do is you can't violate your own conscience. We're all, we're all comfortable with some things and uncomfortable with other things. And we have to decide what is moral and what is preferential. And so, you know, so Jesus drank. He was around, he, he's called a glutton and a drunkard and his disciples are called that. I don't think that means that they got drunk because the scripture clearly declares don't get drunk. But what it means is Jesus was very, very comfortable around drinking and people who drank. Matter of fact, his first miracle in the gospel of John is turning water into wine, the miracle of Cana. So it's, it's a powerful thing. I think what you need to do is you need to get in some relationships where you can get some feedback. Do I come across as judgmental? Do I come across as hypercritical? Do I come across as kind of a social umpire? And that's what some people are. They're calling fouls, they're calling strikes, mm -hmm. you're in, you're out. And so if that's the way that you're coming across, that's not the spirit of Jesus. The spirit of Jesus is to love people and care for people. If they ask your opinion, share it. But here's the thing, if you're uncomfortable, I'm very uncomfortable around drunk people. I don't like it, I don't appreciate it. So I just don't hang around drunk people. If people get drunk, I'm gone. I'm just out of there. I've been in too many situations you know, especially when I, my younger days where people did dumb things, said dumb things. Mm -hmm. If people are drunk, I'm just not there. I'm not there to be a witness. I'm not there. I mean, I'm certainly not there to evangelize. I just leave. That's just not for me. Mm -hmm. And if somebody asks, I just say, I don't make it religious. I just say, I'm uncomfortable around intoxicated people. Mm -hmm. I don't like to be in the car with them. I don't like to be in a house with them. I, don't, I, I just don't like it. Uh, I don't like that for my kids. I, I don't want that for my kids. And I've instructed them. Don't be around those things because you never know what's gonna, I have seen some crazy things mm -hmm. when people are intoxicated and you just don't know what's going 
to happen. Mm. So share that with people, but just get some honest feedback. The only way you can be real with yourself is if you invite people to be real with you. You cannot be real with yourself alone. You just can't do it. You have to have some honest feedback and really, really listen. Because the truth is, most of us feel like we're right, whether you're a Christian or not. We feel like we're right. If you look around at other people, most of us are wrong. Mm -hmm. So if you can see that in others, what are you not seeing in yourself? And so invite people into that. Mm -hmm. And so I just would say, you know, I need to grow in love. I need to grow in grace. But I think it's good to have these boundaries uh, and these morals for you. There's nothing wrong with not drinking. I think that's a good thing. And I, I would recommend that, especially if you're young, because you haven't figured out yet how to balance drinking and decision-making, you know? So I'm in my forties, I can have a drink and not get stupid. For many of you who are in your early twenties, that's impossible. <laughs> so, uh, you know, think when you drink is an oxymoron for you. It, it mm. just, it doesn't, it doesn't occur. So um, I just would say, how, how can I be more loving and more gracious in this situation and more kind to others? Don't come across religious, just don't. Come across as a loving, kind person and if you have an opportunity to share your views, that's fine. And then you shouldn't be in relationship with people who pressure you to drink. Hmm. So there's there's two sides of pressure. One is you guys shouldn't drink because it's bad. Then there's the other side. Oh, come on. You know, you, you need to smoke with me. You need to vape with me. You need to smoke pot with me. You need to, you need, man, those people get away from. Anybody that's pressuring you to do something that you're uncomfortable with, th those aren't your friends. They're not your friends. A friend loves you as you are and embraces you who, for who you are. And it's gonna allow you to maybe not be, uh, you know, not participate in those things. And that's good. Mm -hmm. I would never, ever, ever pressure anybody to do anything. I think that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So, All right. Well, this next question comes from Tess. And she says, I'm a student on a Christian university campus, constantly surrounded by other believers. So when it comes time to have lunch or dinner, it's the norm to pray for before your meal. How can I, as a believer, still pray before my meal with my non-Christian friends while also being sensitive to the fact that prayer may not be a day-to-day -day occurrence for them? What's a useful strategy to be bold while still maintaining an acknowledgement of who Jesus is in my life? Right. So I, I don't think that we pray with non-believers. I don't think we pray over our food with non-believers. I think that we pray silently and to ourselves. And you can take a moment, close your eyes, bow your head. Everybody's going to figure it out. <laughs> right. Literally do it in a couple seconds, you know, um, and just close your eyes, bow your head, take a moment of silence say, Lord, thank you for this food. Um, thank you for my friends. Help me to be an example of your love for them in your mind. That's it. Amen. And, you know, I mean, I, I you don't have to be offensive. And, and I don't think that praying over food is a stand. I think just taking a moment to mm. bow your head and close your eyes and bless your food is a great, great testimony. And they're going to notice. They're, they're going to notice. And I think that that's a great thing. You don't have to disrupt everybody and pray. Now, I do it with my family. If my family is present, we bless the food because I, that's my family. But if it's just me with friends, I can just take a second and pray. And, um, you know, that that's great. So that that's what I would do. Okay. I don't always pray before I eat. Oh yeah, I'm really, I get really hungry. <laughs> I'm like, the Lord has blessed this. Yeah. It has come from yeah. him. And I think even to that, the sense of I'll go out with friends that are no believers and there's that moment of like, are we? Are right. We and I'm like, I feel this is, I want to be real about the fact that I don't always do this. And now right. that I'm with you, I don't want to feel like I have to. So I'll even just mm -hmm. say that, like, do you always pray before you eat? Yeah. We're like, yeah, I do. Or no, I don't. I'm like, if you do, let's do it. If you mm -hmm. don't, then we don't have to because- God's good and he's blessed this food. Yeah, so. so praying over food comes from two places in the Bible. One, the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father mm. in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. So, so we're acknowledging that God has done something for us mm -hmm. and he has blessed us. And you just need to know that a lot of people in the world are not eating today. Mm. So you, you are blessed. 
Next, it comes from, you know, people gathered together to eat. And so I think if you're gathering together as a group of Christians for the purpose of an ecclesia, you should bless the food. Mm. I think, right, that's the purpose, Father. And and you don't ask that God to just bless the food, you ask God to bless the food in the meeting, right. to be a part of us. Mm-hmm. We are sharing a meal together in your name and we seek your guidance, your direction and your yeah. wisdom. And so that's, that's when I think that you should specifically do it. But if it's just a bunch of Christians who are grabbing In-N-Out Burger, <laughs> just get In-N-Out Burger. But if you're if you're gathering together for the purpose of community group, mm. man, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think to not begin with prayer would be an atrocity mm. because you're asking God to be a part of your meeting and, 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 you're, and, and you're gathering, you're congregating in his name and you need to acknowledge that. So That's awesome. I'd also like to acknowledge this is the second episode in a row you've mentioned In-N-Out and uh, mm. I think we're gonna have some people. I love right it, now. dude. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> it is a blessed establishment. Mm-hmm. Tiny verses on the cups. I just Tiny wish they would come verses. up with gluten-free buns because I miss the buns. Mm. Mm. Well, we'll pray for that in the new year. Yeah, I don't think they're going to do it. <laughs> All right, this next question comes in from David. Uh, writes, I have viewed many, and I do mean many, of your archive videos. Thanks Whoa. for checking those out, David. Numerous times you've used the word convicted. You made a statement with convicted in the sermon this weekend too. What exactly does convicted mean? Yeah, guilty. You feel guilty. That's what it means. Mm -hmm. So it's just a religious term. And thank you. I'll try not to use that word anymore, but it means that you feel a sense of guilt that is directed from God. Mm. So, um, and so what that means is God is leading us to apologize. And that word is called repentance. So it's saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do this anymore. So repentance is twofold. It's the acknowledgement and the apology of what you've done wrong. And then it is the movement away from what you've done wrong. So you, you, you can't apologize and keep doing it. So a sincere apology is an act of repentance. God, I'm sorry, and I'm no longer going to do this. This is not going to happen again because it brought, and so what sin does is sin brings relational suffering to you, to God, to someone else. I'm not going to do this anymore. And that's why people need to understand sin is hurting someone. Mm-hmm. It's always hurting someone. Um, so it's either hurting you, it's hurting your friend, or it's hurting your relationship with God. We can grieve the Holy Spirit who lives within us. So we're wounding the Spirit of God who's inside of us. And that should bother us that, mm. that what I'm doing is grieving. Think about that word. Like we use that word when someone's died. Yeah. You know, oh, they're grieving. Well, that's what happens when I sin. The Holy Spirit inside me is grie- is, is aching the loss of our connection right now because I'm choosing myself, my desires, my wants over my relationship with God. And so, um, you know, mm. uh, probably everybody, whether you're married or not, has experienced rejection. Like you really, really like somebody and they no longer like you. And that feeling, right, that grieving, that's relational grieving. And that's what the Holy Spirit is going through because what you're saying is, no, we're temporarily breaking up because I wanna do what I wanna do. The thing is the Holy Spirit's with you. So it's, it's, it's like being married to an unfaithful spouse. Mm-hmm. Right, you, you're you're stuck in this relationship with a spouse who continually cheats, and that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's stuck in this relationship with someone who just keeps breaking his heart, mm-hmm. and um, you're not supposed to do that. And if you if you truly care about God, you care about the Holy Spirit, and uh, so that's what it means. It means you feel guilty. And again, in our society, everybody's against guilt, and um, I I don't think that that's a good thing. I think when a society that robs people of the experience of guilt, what it does is it robs them of the experience of grace. And so that's why Mm. a lot of people in our society can't ever heal and get over it because we've said sin isn't real. And so when you make sin something that's false, you make 
grace an experience that's not real. And mm-hmm. so it's just it's just a real, real tragedy in our society as we, we think we've done such a good thing. You should never feel guilty. Well, sometimes you should. Even the issue of shame, you know, shame is often attacked. Well, shame is the sense that there's something deeply wrong with me. Well, there is, it's called <laughs> sin. And it's found in Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve felt shame. They're still loved by God. They're still cared for by God. But the shame uh, for what happened, something is wrong with me. I'm naked. You know, this is what's happening in me. Only Jesus can deal with your shame. And here's the beauty. So Jesus Christ died on the cross for us to take care of our shame. And we have this beautiful thing called confession to take care of our guilt. Mm. And those are different different things. So shame is there's something wrong with me that Jesus d- deals with on the cross. And then guilt is something that is dealt with through confession to one another. I feel guilty. This is what I've done and I need to confess this. And so it's something that I do on a regular basis mm-hmm. and I just have to share. I mean, you've heard me do mm-hmm. it. And I say, look, here, here's what I was feeling. Here's what I was going on and this was wrong. And man, I just want, I want to get this off my chest. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the beautiful, wonderful thing that we have called confession. So thank you for that. Sometimes, you know, I fall into these traps where I use church words, assuming that everybody knows what they mean, but you know, um, you know, it just yeah. means guilty. No, that's awesome. I would say for even for me, confession and even talking with you as, as we've had conversations over the last several months, it's, it is the most freeing thing mm-hmm. to do in response to feeling guilty, in response right. to feeling convicted. Um, and it, it, it pushes us just like anxiety. You've talked many times, anxiety is an invitation to connect with God. Right. Guilt, I think, is an invitation to connect with others and confess and connect with the Lord and confess. These things that can seem bad actually can drive us toward things that are very healthy and good. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate that encouragement. Next question comes in from Alex, uh, writes, at my work, there's a lesbian couple who are legally married. I'm unsure how I should react or really what to do with this knowledge. I'm not gonna hit them with the Bible. That's good. That would be an yeah, that's violence, assault. Um, or anything, but I don't know how I should feel or deal with that. I haven't been around very many homosexual people since becoming a Christian. Any guidance would be helpful. Yeah, be nice. <laughs> Be nice, like be loving, be be uh, a good friend, you know, care for them, be a good coworker, mm. mm-hmm. you know, do, do, do treat them like a, the person that they are. I mean, mm. um, you know, I, they're not contagious, right? <laughs> just, just love on them and, and appreciate them and, and be a good person and uh, be reliable, be trustworthy, don't mm. talk behind their back. I mean, be, be the best person you can possibly be for them. That's what Jesus Christ wants you to do and mm-hmm. to be in their life. Look, there's gonna be people all the time that don't live like us, don't act like us. That happens all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Homosexuality is simply one aspect of a multitude of things you know, that the world is not going to agree with us on. And so, um, you know, we need to treat people in a very, very different way. And, and, and that means being loving and respectful and, and treating them, you know, as um, women that you are, are kind mm-hmm. to, that you're gentle with, that you're, you know, you're not domineering, don't be a chauvinist, mm-hmm. don't have this, I'm, a, I'm better than you attitude because you're not. You know, I mean, when you become a Christian, what you're saying is I am a wretched sinner. So think about the song, Amazing Grace. Mm. You know, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Like you wanna, you wanna do some homework this week? Go look up the word wretch. <laughs> it's not a nice word. Mm. Uh, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That's the song of Amazing Grace. And so we need to be, just like this last weekend, we talked about when we receive grace, we're generous. 
not only are we generous with our money, but we're generous with grace and love and forgiveness and mm -hmm. kindness. And we need to work with these people. And again, you don't have to agree with people to be nice to them. You just don't. And again, mm -hmm. I would love to do a series and I, I can't figure out how to do it because everybody, everybody in America keeps saying we need to agree. I, we're never gonna agree. It, the issue is not unity of thought. The issue is civility of behavior. We're not a civil society. We are losing mm -hmm. our civility. Mm -hmm. We don't know how to be civil towards one another, which mm -hmm. is, you know, the golden rule is not so golden. It's been forgotten. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yeah. And it's just, it's just absolutely ugly, you know, who we are on Twitter and Facebook and, and all of this stuff. And, and it's just, you know, um, you know, I think a lot of people think, you know, Trump is responsible for this. I think Trump is a product of our society. He's simply manifesting what we've become as a culture mm -hmm. and it's tragic. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to lash out at every single person that you disagree with. And that's not a healthy way to operate. And, and it's not wise, it's not good, it's ridiculous. So be loving, be kind, be sweet, um, you know, and, and then don't do anything that you're not comfortable with. So, you know, for example, you know, if, you, if you're at work and you have, um, you know, two gay people who are in love, and they invite you to their wedding and they want you to be there. Um, you know, one of the things that I would ask is, well, is it a civil marriage or is it a religious marriage? You know, is who, who's doing the ceremony? Mm -hmm. Because as a Christian, I, I think you cannot go participate in a ceremony where you have a person standing in front of the name of Jesus uniting that. I think that that's a real, real problem mm -hmm. for you because mm -hmm. the person in the name of God is contra contradicting the word of God. But if it's a judge, yeah. yeah. Okay, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a civil union. And the reality is our society is better when people are monogamous. It just is, it's a better place. It's better for families, it's better for uh, couples, uh, it's better for disease and health and all of those things. You know, I, I think that you, you, know, you can acknowledge that and pray about that you know, and, and, and decide for yourself. For me though, when there's a person with a cross around their neck or you know, they're saying, I, I am speaking on behalf of Jesus, then that's a problem, mm. that's a problem. But other than that, man, and, and I think you can be respectful on that is you can say, you know, I believe that marriage is a, is a re, it's a religious ceremony for me. It's, it's a worship ceremony. And so I can't participate in that, but I would love to be a part of, you know, your guys' lives and, and what you do. And I, and I think that that's great. And so love them, appreciate them, um, you know, um, be the best that you can possibly be. Like, even if they adopt kids, that's a good thing, not because we agree with gay marriage, but because we don't want kids to not have loving families. So make sure that you acknowledge them and, and you're supportive of that, you know. Um, find a way to be a good person. The Bible says, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. Be mm -hmm. a peaceful person. Mm -hmm. Blessed are the peacemakers. And that's what's wrong with our society is we believe that we have to agree with every, with everyone on everything before we're nice. Mm -hmm. That is, show me that verse in the Bible. It does not exist. Yeah. We have to be nice and kind and loving. And oh, by the way, a lot of these scriptures that people quote, when you see these really ugly, awful, nasty people, they're taking scriptures that are spoken to the church, that are spoken to the ecclesia in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, who have gathered together in God's name. They're taking those verses and they're shouting it at the Egyptians. They're shouting it at the non-Christians. And I, that always bothers me. It's like, those are the verses for us, for how we live. Right. You know, one of the great problems of the church is we've paid far less attention to how we're living and far more attention to how everyone else is living. And the apostle Paul actually, there's actually a virgin in Corinthians where he talks about this. 
He basically says, who cares what the world is doing? I care what you're doing. Mm-hmm. He actually says, who am I to judge outsiders? He says, my problem is, Corinthians, you guys are right. whack. <laughs> right. He says, there's things that are going on in your ecclesia, in your gathering that don't even happen in the world. Yeah. And the church has historically struggled with that. Deal with pastors and priests who touch kids first. Let's start there right. before we start dealing with all of these issues out in the world. We have wolves amongst us. We have to deal with these issues amongst us. And so just understand, the church is a government unto itself. We, we self-govern, we self-operate. We, we come together to function under the law of God and the mm-hmm. love of Jesus Christ. We try to do that. We don't put that over on everybody else. People have to decide to come to Jesus, follow Jesus, now, if they come to you and they say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus and I believe God's made me this way and blah, 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 then, then that's, an, that's an opportunity to say, well, mm-hmm. all of us are made with personalities, with desires, uh, with wants and with needs. All of those must conform to the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. That's what a Christian to me means. A Christian to me means that I submit all of my desires, all of my wants, all of my needs, all of my brokenness to the teachings of Jesus. Mm. And so that's what a Christian is, a little Christ. And so that's an opportunity to share the gospel, but don't do it in a condemning way. Just share what it means to you. And that is a powerful, powerful testimony. And you can say, and this is what it means to my church. This is what Sandals Church is about. We're all trying to rid ourselves of sin Mm. and we all are sinners. We're all trying to become who God has called us to be. And what that means is we want to Think, feel, and act like Jesus. If, mm-hmm. if you're new to the podcast, this is what it means to be a Christian. I've got to learn to think, act, and feel like Jesus. Mm-hmm. So here's what happens. Here's how I feel. How would Christ feel? Here's what happened. Here's how I want to respond. How has Christ called me to respond? Right. Here's what I think about the issue. How would Jesus think about right. the issue? And that is the role of the church. And so to complicate that, you know, we just had a gathering last night of, of a couple of our friends um, who are, I mean, they're actually... A, both of them are on staff at our church and they came to Tammy and I and two other friends in our church. And we listen to this, we gathered together to try to figure out what the right thing was to do about something that was very personal and hurtful for them. Mm. So here's a married couple in our church who, I mean, I would go to them for wisdom. I would go to them mm. for input and they're coming to us because they want to make sure that they're on the right page. And that's what Christians do. We yeah. don't just go with our gut. We don't just decide, you know, WWJD is a great bracelet. And if some of you aren't old enough to remember what that was, it was kind of a fad. What would yes, Jesus do? Yes. But you don't decide that on your own. Mm-hmm. We, we go to the church. We go to people who know God, who love God, mm-hmm. who are obedient to God and know us and love us and want to be obedient to the truth. And we put that out there and we say, what do you guys think? Because our passions and our desires often let me say, are usually <laughs> contrary to God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if God just wanted you to follow your heart and follow your passions, most of the scriptures never be, need to be written. But unfortunately, our passions and our hearts and our desires get us in that way. So just know this, you know, the Bible teaches that homosexual sex is not for followers of Jesus. That is consistently mm-hmm. taught through the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Never once is it acknowledged as a positive thing. Now, does God love gay people? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. He has a wonderful plan for their heart. He has a wonderful plan for my heart. He has a wonderful plan for my life. Mm-hmm. And it does not mean that I seek out all of my sexual passions and desires. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, the Bible says that Matt Brown's passions and desires, the way Matt Brown was made, let's use that language, is going to lead him to hell. Mm-hmm. 
So one of the things that God came to save us all from is ourselves. So yeah. in this instance, God doesn't need to save the lesbian couple at your work. He needs to save you from your own judgmental attitude, from your own passions, from how you would think or act or behave towards this. So be as wonderful as you possibly can. And here's my prayer. God doesn't want that to be a fake wonderful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He actually wants it to be a real wonderful. Yeah. Uh, be, be glad for them and excited for them and love them and care for them because that's how Jesus reached out to people. Now, he also said, leave your life of sin when it was appropriate, mm-hmm. when yeah. it was right. But for that to happen, people need to have a hunger for God. They need to have a hunger for Jesus. They need to begin sensing that something's not right in their life. And that's yeah. when we share the gospel. That's when you say, here, you know, here is who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Man, that, that, that's when we, we, have to, 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 we have to be so careful, not only with how we share the gospel, but when we share it. And so that's why at Sandals Church, you know, a lot of people say, why don't you give an altar call every single week? Because I believe nowadays in a post-Christian culture, most people are not ready to make a decision to follow Jesus and give up everything mm. in one sermon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they actually need to go to our yeah. path group mm-hmm. and figure out who Jesus is, figure out who they are and make a decision. Yeah. And we want to honor people and we want to honor the process. Yeah. And, and I, I believe that we need to be urgent, but we also must be patient. We have to be both with people. Mm. And so, um, again, welcome to the challenges of being a Christian. Yeah. And so, and just know this issue is not just towards people who are in same-sex relationships. This is people, this is in every person you deal with. And yeah. it is very, very difficult. My wife and I have been in disagreement for about a week. I think we're healed now, but in a, in, in a, for about a week about how we are dealing with a specific person in our life. Yeah. We don't agree Specifically, the issue is on what Jesus would have us do. Mm. It's a tough issue. Mm-hmm. And so we've also discussed that with our kids and with um, some other Christians in our lives because it's hard to figure out what's your emotion and passion and what is Jesus. Yeah, It's difficult. Yeah. So, I really like what you, you kind of had a thread through your answer that we don't treat people, maybe people that are in homosexual relationships, other sin or other struggle, treat them like a different kind of person. No, they're not. And I yeah. love that you said that because I think growing up for me in the church, mm-hmm. I mean, the reality is what the message I heard was that of, oh, this is a different kind of, they're not a different kind of person. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you're saying, treat them like a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I love that. That's really. really and that's how Jesus part. treated people. And, and you've got to do that. Um, and again, the answer is, you know, what, what people are going to try to do is they're going to try to make you judge them. And so that's the conversation. Mm. So do you think I'm going to hell? And so it doesn't matter what I think. You know, it just, right. it just doesn't, I mean, right. I'm not God. Yeah. I'm trying to live my life according to what I see the scriptures teach. And I think yeah. the clear teaching of scripture is that this is not for those who follow Jesus. That That's what, that's what I mean. Leave heaven and hell up to God. Mm-hmm. But as far as the life that I've been called to live, this is the life. And, and it doesn't just speak to the homosexual. It speaks to the sexual person. The sexual person is spoken to throughout scripture. Um, you know, we, we all have to deal with our desires. If you haven't dealt with your sexual desires, you haven't dealt with Jesus. Mm. So. Wow. Yeah, way to tie that one out. All right, this next question comes in from Larissa. And she says, my grandmother is 83 and getting very close to her time. 
Our family struggles and worries about her because she's a complete atheist. Also, every time any of us spend time with her, she puts down God and talks very badly about Christianity. It's hard for us to spend time with her because she's so negative. I know all we can do is pray for her, but how can we learn to stand to be around her when she's so negative about something we so strongly believe in? Mm. Yeah, so the first thing I would do is is uh, try to get some time with grandma. I don't know what her personality is. Sometimes, here, here's the thing, and if you're in your 60s and you listen to the debrief, love you. You're rocking. You're way ahead of hey, your time. That's right. Here's the thing that you need to be aware of as you age. So, and this is why I'm talking to our older listeners. The veneer of maturity begins to fade. Ooh. And so who we really are starts to show up because as you get older, you just stop caring. I, I've seen it over and over again. And so many of the child, so what does a child do? The child demands, the child cries, the child pouts, the child acts very immaturely because they only see the world according to themselves. If you don't deal with those childlike issues that you've learned to mask and hide in your early adulthood and midlife, okay? We, we, we quit throwing tantrums because nobody will hang out with us. But if we don't deal with the spirit of the tantrum, Mm-hmm. It's still in us. And guess what happens? It comes out as you age. Mm. So uh, what your grandma is doing oftentimes is reverting to who she's been all along. Mm. And that's what happens. So the veneer of maturity slips away as we age. So, you know, just 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 know who you are is gonna come out. So you've got to deal with who you are. And this is for all of us. We get more grumpy. We, I mean, that's why the grumpy old men, where does that term come from? Well- <laughs> Men that don't deal with mm-hmm. their pride, mm-hmm. their issues in midlife and early life become very, very grumpy as they age. And mm-hmm. that's just the reality. So I would maybe try this approach. And I don't know how mean she is. I, I, I just don't know. There are mean old ladies. I mean, there just are. I would say, Grandma, can you tell me, did something bad ever happen to you in the church? Mm. Did, did something, explain to me not why you don't believe in God. Explain to me, were you ever hurt by God? That's where I would go. Yeah. And that's what I would deal with. Um, and try, try to be a good listener and try to hear from her, you know, what are you feeling? What took place? Because oftentimes the reasons that people hate God is because they've been hurt by a person mm. in the name of God or something happened. And so here's the thing that you need to know. All of us are gonna experience great pain in life. How we view God and how we understand God is going to deepen our relationship with God or we're gonna fall away from God. Mm. And so uh, I prayed with a couple um, I, I don't think it was this weekend. I can't remember if it was this weekend or last weekend. And they're struggling with a debilitating disease. It's a, a neurological disorder and it's disrupted their marital life. It's disrupted uh, their financial life. He's lost his job. He's unable to work. And it's wrecking. This is what the wife said. It's wrecking my faith. Mm-hmm. Well, listen to me, every single one of you, some of you are gonna get cancer. Some of your kids are gonna th- think bad things happen. You need to decide beforehand mm-hmm is your faith in God simply based upon what happens to you in your life? If it is, then you're gonna be in trouble. You're gonna, your faith is gonna be a trouble and you probably will fall away. My faith in God is not based upon the blessings that I've occurred in my life. My faith is in God and I trust in him and then believe in him no matter what happens, right? And Tammy and I have gone through some doozies, not, not like anywhere near what many people have gone through, mm. but we've gone through some horrific hardships in our life. And so you have to trust the goodness of God despite the badness of life. You have to do that. So your grandma, unfortunately, has probably had some experiences with a church person, uh, with a religious person. And by the way, there are nasty church people out Mm. there. Mm. There are ugly, and I don't mean that like physically ugly, I mean emotionally ugly 
people in the church that yeah. are just mean and cruel. And that's because they're religious, but they are not right with God. Mm. And that is, that is just so sad. And so I would find that out and try to listen to her. Now, if that doesn't work, in the end, you have to love God more than your grandma. Mm. And that's really, really hard. And yeah. a lot of us don't. And one of the idols that we have to lay down, what does God call Abraham to sacrifice? His one and only son. Mm. You must love me, Abraham, more than your own yeah. kid. Yeah. And um, there's a famous preacher in the early uh, 19th century uh, named Charles Spurgeon. And apparently he was a hellion. And uh, what I mean by that is he was going to hell in a handbasket. And his mother confronted him and said on the day of judgment, his, his own mother, when God condemns you to hell, she said, I will rejoice with Jesus and announce amen, amen. Thanks mom. Yeah, <laughs> not, not captain encouragement there, <laughs> no. but it awoken that was the truth. faith mm -hmm. in Charles Spurgeon mm. and it scared him to death and he gave his life to Christ. And so we live in a society where everybody's going to heaven. Charles Spurgeon grew up in a society where everybody's going to hell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we need to learn from that experience and we need, to, we need to be able to allow grandma, as much as we love her and care for her, to go where she wants to go. Mm. And heaven is with Jesus. Yeah, She, she does not she want to go that. there if she does not want to be with Jesus. And here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus will allow your grandma to choose. And that is what's terrifying. Mm. She gets to choose. She gets to choose her choice, but she does not get to choose her consequence. And so, um, you know, just like I believe heaven is personal, so is hell. Not everyone will suffer equally in hell. It will be personal. Um, so we talked about hell is three things. It's banishment from mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. It's punishment for our sins. And I believe it's, it's destruction. It's just, God destroys, um, who we were as creatures of God. There's a part of us that are destroyed as we pass through the fire um, that is talked about throughout scripture. So just understand that and just know that it is real. And we all need to be convicted about this. You know, I had this talk with my son um, because one of his friends are dating a non-Christian. And I just, I just looked at my son and he's only 14, almost 15. Mm -hmm. And I said, please don't date a non-Christian girl who doesn't love Jesus. I said, because I don't want my grandbabies to go to hell. Mm. So make sure that's the number one quality. Yeah. Uh, I said, because I don't wanna be in heaven without you and your kids. Mm. And I just mm. told them that flat out. Now, no, some people are, are probably just crash their cars because I said that, yeah. but I want my kids to know that I believe that following God not only sends you to heaven, but it blesses you on earth. And mm. I believe that. I believe Tammy and I have been blessed and we have had our lives navigated through the ups and downs, through the good times and the bad, that's been navigated with God. And he has been the mediator when we've needed it. He's been our counselor when we needed it. He's been literally our comforter when we've been broken. And I don't want my kids to have to go through life without that. Mm -hmm. And so my prayer is that if my kids have to choose between a single life, you know, because they couldn't find a, a spouse that loves Jesus or a married life with a spouse who doesn't love Jesus, I, I'm praying that they choose the single life. Right. And that's my prayer for them. And that's a tough choice but again, back to the, uh, the lesbian couple, I don't think homosexuals understand the gospel because I don't think heterosexual Christians have understood the gospel. Mm. We don't understand the call of Jesus. He's calling us to come and follow him mm -hmm. and leave everything, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And so um, he's willing, he's willing to let people walk away. He calls this one follower and he says, but first I must go home and bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead, 
Mm-hmm. No one can plow the field and look back. Mm-hmm. You got to choose. And now's the moment. And that dude chose wrong and he walked away from Jesus and Jesus let him. Yeah, mm-hmm. He let him. And uh, I mean, there were two thieves on the cross, one who got right and one who didn't. Yeah. One is in heaven and one is not. So we, we need to deal with that. And that is a real thing. Our society it, I mean, is broken in multiple ways, but the biggest way, you know, like Charles Manson died this week and it is a travesty to justice that it took this long for him to die. Absolutely. And I know some of our listeners are against the death penalty and I would just challenge who the heck you think you are, who the heck you think you are to morally intervene and say those families who lost that did not deserve. I mean, Charles Manson has tortured those families for like 45 years mm-hmm. with his personality, with his presence. Um, our culture doesn't know how to hold people accountable. By the way, the, the young teenage girls who participate in the merger, they're up for parole. Right now, one of them has been paroled and our governor, who does not give me a great deal of confidence, is going to decide whether she gets out or not. And what they're going to say is, well, has she served her? No, mm. no, you, you murdered a pregnant woman, an eight-month-old pregnant woman. We go back and look up the Manson murders. They were horrific mm. because they got off on it. Our culture doesn't know how to punish. Mm. In our culture, we believe punishment is cruel and unusual. No, it's, it's right. Mm-hmm. Punishment is right when you have committed a great wrong. And one of the reasons why our culture is just off the rails is because we don't punish anybody for anything. You know, and, and we have Charles Manson murderers that have been paroled. It's disgusting. Hmm. God, God is righteous and he's not afraid to judge. Hmm. And I, I know that I got off on a little pe- political bandwagon <laughs> there, but man, we are so self-righteous as a society. And we think we, we so... We, we so believe that we know what's right. Hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think that Sharon Tate is the one that was murdered. And I got to listen to her sister on the radio, who I believe is in her 70s now Never. and has had to go before, I, I, it's like 80 parole board hearings. Oh, she has gosh. spent her life going. And I'm like, because our society can't mm-hmm. do what they needed to do in the 60s, which was end this. Mm-hmm. It's just end this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sorry. We don't need to rehabilitate people that hide under beds and wait for you to go to sleep, right? I mean, okay, I'm sorry, you're tweaked. I will help send you to Jesus in his name. I, I, I just I just don't, I don't get our world. I just mm-hmm. don't get our world. Mm. And um, you know, for those of you who don't agree with me and you're gonna send in all your stuff, let me tell you why all these women are getting groped, molested, and all of these things are happening because there's no consequences. There's no consequences. People cover for everybody and it's disgusting. Mm. It is, Yeah, it is. So anyways, I'll be praying for your grandma. Man, I went. Way, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, Charles Manson. You never, yeah. never, bet you never thought that would come up when we talk about your grandma. You brought up a couple Charles there, yeah. Charles Spurgeon, Charles, Charles Manson. Yeah. Very different, very yeah, different, very different men. Yeah, but yeah. I actually really, I love that you brought up the story about Charles Spurgeon and his mother because the idea that she told him the truth yes. is is really a, a a key part of being real with others, and it's something you mm-hmm. talk about all the time. And thinking about man, if someone in in grandmother's life mm-hmm. would have told her the truth early on. I'll never forget that's a story just in my own life of a friend who shared that they had an aunt that really went on into their life and really hard to be around. Nobody wanted to be around them, uh, this aunt, because of how hard she was to deal with interpersonally. Mm-hmm. And then eventually someone, and it was later in her life, just told her, hey, you're, you're a really hard person. Here's why. And she responded and said, I just wish someone would have told me oh, wow. sooner. Mm-hmm. And that's not a common mm-hmm. maybe response, right? You, you kind of yeah. assume they're set in their ways. Mm-hmm. But just hearing that one story mm-hmm. has always encouraged me to, to do what we do here at Sandals Church and being real with others. Mm-hmm. 
asking, how do you experience me? How can I better, you know, help to be experienced by you? Um, because the answer might be one day, I wish someone would have told me. Right, and you don't have to call somebody a jerk or, yeah, or you know, to- use a cuss word. You can just say, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you are very mean. <laughs> right. You can say that. Right. You can say that, right? I mean, right. You, you, you are mean in the way that you treat people. Mm-hmm. Don't attack them as a person. Don't say you're a mean person. Say the way that you behave right. to people mm-hmm. is mean. Is mean. It is mean. And you need to know that yeah. it's unkind. It's not nice. Well, that's just how I am. Well, that makes me feel sad for you mm-hmm. because I would never want to be an unkind person yeah. and I don't want that for you. Yeah. yeah. Boom. You just drop the mic. <laughs> got it. <laughs> we got to do a series on how to deal with toxic people. I thought you were going to say how, how to how to properly drop a mic. I thought that was what you were going yeah. to say. Well, there's there's an art that, form to that. I yeah, think, right. So. Right. How to deal with hard people. And yeah. we drop the mic at the end of every episode. <laughs> All right, so this next question comes in from Anonymous and it says, the Bible teaches to honor your mo- father and mother and I strive, oh my goodness, and Man. I strive to pursue Is that English in all I do. Is English your first language? Uh, yeah, yeah, Sundays. Okay. So, yeah. It's the King James version. Uh, so the Bible yeah. teaches us to honor our father and mother and I strive to pursue that in all that I do, but I find it difficult when I see my parents settling in their faith and becoming complacent with sinful patterns. Recently, I've been made aware of some of those sinful patterns, namely pornography in their lives. Mm. And I know we all struggle and I don't want to shame them, but what advice do you have for adult children who strive to honor their parents, but are also aware of sin they see consistently being committed in their lives? Wow. That's this an, is a first. This is, is going to be a rough thing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a first. I literally just put on my seatbelt that yeah. is in this chair. It's Man. buckled up. Yeah. So, you know, pornography um, captivates people of all ages. I remember I went over to this senior's house in, um, in our church and she had a bunch of magazines and I thought they were like just medical equipment. Stuff. <laughs> so I started flipping through it and I was like, whoa, nope. whoa. So, and uh, the old lady said, old ladies have needs too. And I was like, Whoops. oh, okay, well, this just got real. I need for Jesus. Yes. Clearly. So listen, um, yeah, I, I would challenge your parents and I, I would, man, there is nothing good about pornography. There's nothing helpful. And for those of you who don't know why pornography is a sin, because you are watching someone else have sex and that is wrong. That is wrong. So A, if they're not married, they're committing adultery. Um, B, if they are married, you're committing adultery because you're watching them and it's just not something that's supposed to happen. We're supposed to honor nakedness um, and our culture does not, right? Our culture just thinks you ought to be naked all the time. As Christians, we think we ought to be covered because um, there should be an area of privacy and and that includes um, you know parts of our bodies that we would, we would consider sexual parts of our bodies and that includes the act of sex. And so... Um, that's just my challenge. I wouldn't say that your parents are complacent. I would say they're in sin. So complacency, I, I want to do another series. I want to do it called uh, The Drift. And, and, and because you don't, just, you don't just start, but I have this whole concept of like having like a, maybe like a, a canoe or something on stage where we just sit in. And the, you know, Jesus Christ is this paddle, right? That he mm-hmm. gives us. And, we, and if, we, if we stop paddling, we start drifting and we only drift in one direction. Mm-hmm. We don't drift to God. No. We drift away from God. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens. And so, you know, if you're a young couple, your intimacy, your sexual intimacy can't solely be based upon your attraction. It cannot, it must transition from attraction to appreciation. And that's where it has to go because your body's going to change. It's going to not look as good as it did at one time. So you don't help that attraction by looking at naked young people. I mean, I'm assuming they're not looking at naked old porn. I don't know. Our world is into weird things. <laughs> Phrases my, I never thought I'd hear. Yeah, my assumption is that this is pornography and they're staring at young people, which is just weird, right? 
Mm. Uh, perhaps young people younger than their own children. And that's bizarre. But Hugh Hefner and guys like that made it very normal. It's not normal to be mm-hmm. 80 and be married to a 25-year-old. That's not normal. So I, I would challenge them and I would just say it makes me sad. Um, you know, I, your prayer for them, and this is an awkward conversation, but you want them to be attracted and appreciated of each other. Mm-hmm. That's what you want them to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if they say, well, this medically helps us, man, there are pills for that. So go do that. Choose choose medical routes to be able to continue the sex act that are not involving sin. Don't do that. Mm. You know, it is not good. Guys, if, if, if you want to diminish your attraction for your wife or you ladies, you want to diminish your attraction for your husband, look at porn. It will diminish it. Yeah. It will. It takes away your appreciation of their beauty, their beauty and their nudity. It just does. When you look at nude bodies all the time, it loses its attraction and it diminishes it. And so um, that was one of the things that helped me quit looking at porn is I realized I'm spoiling my own party. What am I doing here? This mm-hmm. is dumb. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I wanna appreciate my wife. The Bible actually says, do not forget um, your wife's breasts from her youth. That's what that's that's the Bible. Don't forget those. Mm-hmm. Um, remember what you were attracted to, and remember what you were drawn to. You know, Tammy and I. We look at pictures when we first got married. Man, we were kids. Man, we're <laughs> old now, and it's okay. I, I still love her. I still think she's hot. I, I think she's great. But she's my wife. But I'm not going to go look at images of women half her age. Why would I do? That's just stupid. And I don't want her looking at images of dudes half my age. Man, mm-hmm. it's I'm not half my age, and I can't be. I, I'm me. And that's who I am. And then we start comparing anatomy and mm-hmm. we start comparing, I mean, come on, mm-hmm. what are you doing? You're, you're, you're robbing yourself of the blessing of intimacy and sex. And so mm-hmm. again, I know it might feel a little gross, but what you want is for your parents, here's, here's my goal for my kids. And they get grossed out because, you know, I, I still kiss their mom. I, I am still very verbal that I am sexually attracted to their mom. I, I am. I want them to know that you can have sexual romantic, spiritual intimacy well into life. I don't Mm. think there's any healthy models for that Mm. for young people today. I think sex is always dating. It's always affairs. It's always this, it's always that. And so I want my kids to know that, no, okay, in my 40s, we can still be drawn to each other and attracted to each other and faithful to each other. And things change. They do change, but you need to be continually committed to one another. And uh, and I think that that's really, really important. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, if I'm looking at, at, at pornography, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be as verbal with my wife as I am. You know, hey, you look beautiful today. Because what I'm gonna be is critical. That's what pornography does. That's what those images does. Mm-hmm. It's what it does to women. When women look at these pictures, you know, it always cracks me up. You know, I, I used to go buy my wife. Um, what's the underwear company? There are, uh, In the mall. Secret. Victoria's Secret. Right. I, I I don't do it anymore because I'm gonna run into somebody. It's just embarrassing. And at Christmas time, the line is oh. like, it's just <laughs> awful. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm the pervert pastor in here. It just feels weird. But there's nothing wrong with buying sexy underwear for your wife, um, you know, or for your husband if you guys are into yeah, that. Shameless whatever. Christmas yeah. plug. Yeah. 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 So um, guys, get it, out there. It's just it's just weird. But w- when I'm doing that, and you know, you look at those images, and I'm just like, okay, mm-hmm. this is not how most women mm-hmm. look. It's just ridiculous. And so women feel insecure. And oh, by oh. the way, if you're married and you want a healthy sex life, you want your wife to feel good about how she looks because if she feels critical of herself. That is not good for anybody. You want her to feel very, very good about herself. And, and um, you know, Tammy and I were in a foreign country where most of the women are very short and very round. And we went to the mall and all of the mall is 
six foot two blondes, <laughs> you know, that are like yeah. 108 pounds. And I'm looking around at Tammy. I'm like, no one looks like that. Everybody looks like Bob the Tomato, right? You know, from uh, Veggie Tales. Veggie Tales. Yep. And I'm like, how are these women going in this underwear shop and like finding appropriate size? I'm just like, yeah. this is ridiculous, man. Yeah. And so, man, you know, um, I'm not into a size. I'm into Tammy. That's what I'm into. I'm into her and she is to be the love of my life and the focus of my life. And I care about what she thinks. I care about her. And and that, that's a full-time job. Mm-hmm. So I want to be focused on her and I want her to be focused on me. And what I would do is, you know, encourage them to turn away from those things and turn towards each other. And the first thing that your parents need to do if they're solid Christians is repent because they've sinned. They've sinned against God. They've sinned against each other. They're wrecking their sex life. That That's the reality and... In most situations when I've done counseling, one spouse has coerced the other spouse into this. And typically what happens is one person is feeling weird about it. Um, You know, um, and so just know there's enough intimacy. There's enough love. There's enough power within sex just for the two of you. You don't need to add anything to that. So the world, Mm. the world says we need to add something to that, a video, something else, uh, another partner, because the world doesn't understand the power of sex and what God has given um, to you. So my prayer is for you. And man, my heart goes out and I'm sorry that your parents are a little whack on this issue, but guess what? Welcome to adulthood. Part of being adult is realizing your parents aren't perfect and their their flaws become, you know, more, you become more aware of them as you age. And so my challenge to you is instead of being super critical of them, be self-aware of yourself and try to make sure that you don't slip into those patterns. Because if it happened to them, it can happen to you. Mm, so that's good. Yeah, that's good encouragement. Sure. All right. Well, hopefully you guys have some good uh, conversation starters for the Thanksgiving table it's now. It's yeah. Be a so who's, Thanksgiving. who's struggling with yeah. porn? Pass the turkey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> that is all we've got for this week, folks. I hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. Over the next few weeks on the debrief, we're going to be getting to a lot of those backlogged off-topic questions that you mm. guys have been sending in because we want to make sure to still cover those. So if you've got questions or anything about the sermons that you hear uh, coming up, we would love to get those on the show. You can always send those in at debrief.show or send us a message on Facebook. We would love to get those on the show. You can find show notes for this episode at debrief.show slash 89. We'll have links to ways to give, ways to Um, leave a review in iTunes. We'll have some of the resources that Pastor Matt has talked about on there. Make sure to check those out. You can also follow us at Debrief Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We would love to have you be our friend on there and you'll get some clips and quotes from the episodes. Mm. You can also watch this episode on YouTube if you're not already. Mm. We would love to have you on there. And last but not least, you can support Sandals Church in the Debrief by texting Give Debrief to 951-900-4120. And after much demand that... uh, Number is also on our website at debrief.show. Mm. Lots of reasons to check out debrief.show if mm. you haven't yet, if you're not noticing that. Make sure to uh, send us a text if you'd like to support the show or Sandals Church. We would love to have your support. You guys, have a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah fastest show ever. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's been at zero. <laughs> made the it in time. record time. At zero. I literally had like little bouts of panic attack all the way through because I had no idea how long I saw. I okay, we, I was watching did, the, Yeah, Steph was watching. Yeah. But happy I, Thanksgiving, everybody. I love Turkey. Like, this is like seriously like my favorite moment. And that's why PRD oh, yeah. is not here today because he is preparing. He's yeah. Preparing. He is you can heart. imagine this is a. He is preparing. This is, this is his moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 This is his Christmas. He takes food seriously. So we love Very you, PRD. We miss you. And please come back. Yep. I got to get to my little league game. Yes.